You guys know I'm always talking about tracking my money. You can't manage what you don't measure. And I use a paid app to do that because I'm kind of crazy. But when I talk to you guys, my readers and my listeners, you want a free solution. You want something that links to your personal accounts and tracks your net worth. You want something that has analysis tools and a personalized plan for you. And you want real wealth management advice. The free answer is personal capital. Personal capital is an awesome tool, and it is hard to believe that it's free. And the world agrees. Year after year, personal capital is recognized as a best-in-class budgeting and tracking tool. And that's why I feel good about being affiliated with them. So if you want to start getting your finances in order, and you want to do it for free, start with personal capital. Here's how. Go to the show notes, click on that link, and let them know that the best interest sent you, and start your free account today. That's personal capital, your all-in-one free personal finance tool. Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hey guys, welcome to episode 34 of the Best Interest Podcast. My name is Jesse Kramer. And my guest today is Michelle Jackson. Michelle, she is a serial entrepreneur, a finance blogger, and podcaster like myself. But impressively, Michelle has turned her projects into a thriving full-time career. And I think that is so cool. And I think by listening to her today, you'll understand why she has such a loyal audience. But real quick, before I introduce our guest, could you please pause the show and then in your podcast app, give a rating and review to the Best Interest Podcast. Why? Because the Best Interest, it's a growing small business, and I want to keep making this content for people just like you. A rating and a review, it lets all those fancy algorithms know that you care about this podcast. And I know I'm asking for your time, I'm asking for your effort, and I know that you don't owe me anything. So I really appreciate those of you who decide to sacrifice that time and effort to leave that rating and review. Thank you, guys. So with that, let's go meet our guest. My guest today is Michelle Jackson, an entrepreneur with with too many talents and projects to cover in just this intro. We'll get into it in the podcast, but I first came across Michelle from her funny and insightful blog and podcast, Michelle is Money Hungry. And Michelle, she also does some fiction writing, some freelance writing for outside clients and and coaching for other internet freelancers like me and people like Michelle. And I'm really excited that Michelle is here to share her diverse talents and her diverse thoughts with us today on the Best Interest Podcast. Welcome, Michelle. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. And Michelle, it's a fairly standard opening question. I don't think my listeners are sick of it, though, because they want to know about you. So could you give us just maybe your, your three-minute elevator speech about your, your story, your backstory, and specifically how it pertains to money? Ooh. So uh, long story short, I had a lot of financial issues, some that were my fault, others that weren't, weren't my fault. Basically, uh, my mother lost her job. And I ended up supporting the two of us on Starbucks money and student loans. I will always be grateful to Starbucks, quite frankly, as a result of that fan for life. And um, through the course of going through all of these painful moments, if you will, I really understood a couple of things. One was that struggling with money sucks. And the the second thing was I had no idea how to get out of it. Like I was really frustrated. And when you're in the thick of things, it's really difficult to see how you can get out of it. So over a course of years, um, my mom finally was able to find another job. Things got better, but I still had financial problems and it took a really long time to relearn my money scripts and my, my financial 
habits, um, to become confident with money. That's something I still work on today. But during that process of becoming a better steward of my money, paying off over $60,000 in unsecured debt, not because I was shopping and like living the high life, like a lot of that money was just living life. I decided to share my story and I, I decided to share my financial story because I thought if this can help just one person, like literally just one person that would make a difference to me, actually, like my struggle and my suffering was worth it. If I can help some other person out and maybe help them avoid some of the things that I had dealt with, or just be aware of the things that I was dealing with. I ended up in, in having this interest, I ended up becoming like a huge fan of all these other bloggers. So back in the day when blogging was really huge and they were calling it blogging, a lot of the personal finance content was really personality and story driven more so than it is now. And I loved reading all of the stories that people were sharing. A lot of people that you're probably reading about or following right now, uh, listeners of the show. And I loved hearing how I wasn't the only person out there dealing with the stuff that I was dealing with. Maybe it was this, wasn't the same thing, but other people were dealing with variations of supporting a family member or uh, financially or being the eldest child and having these responsibilities on them. So I fell in love with these stories and like really fangirled about around it. And I discovered that there was this, this, uh, conference called FinCon and it was in its second year and it was going to be in my town of Denver. But it was really weird because I found out two weeks before it was going to be here. And I was like, oh my God, I have no money, but I have a hundred dollars and I can walk to the venue because it was within walking distance and they're going to feed me and I'm going to go. And I'm a very gregarious person. I'm an extrovert. No one really remembers me from that first year because I, I was so like geeked out because I was meeting all these people that I'd read their stories and their stories had been really transformative for me and, and just made me feel so seen and not alone. And I met them and I was like, this is something I need to do. Um, like it, it, it reaffirmed my um, interest in putting content out there. And in the beginning, my work was horrible. <laughs> like the, like looking at the blog post and like the, how they were formatted and how random they were. And, oh my God, it was just painful, but I'm really appreciative of that work because if I hadn't started with that awkward, awful content, I wouldn't be where I'm at now winning awards with my, with, for my content. So, um, that is actually how I got into this space. I had a financial mess. Everything sucked. I fell in love with the space. I always liked money and money stories though, which is actually an interesting thing. So when I went to college, I was initially going to get a degree in economics. If you can believe that. I was literally going to get a degree in economics. And then I changed my mind because people kind of teased me about it. And they were like, only old white men do that. And ironically, only I, old white men were my professors in, in, the, in those classes. And so I kind of got like gender shamed and, and color shamed a little bit into changing my uh, degree. So I ended up getting a poli-sci degree, political science. But it's funny now because I have a master's in public administration with the emphasis in nonprofit organization management. I never went into a nonprofit space, but what I realized is all of my interests that I always had, I'm using now. I'm using my mm. degree now and the career that I've created a lot. And I've always used it, but it, it's like, there's more than one way to do a thing. And now I talk about policy. <laughs> Um, I talk about money. I and and I love having financial conversations because it's all like sex, drugs, power, and rock and roll, you know. <laughs> and anyone in the personal finance space who doesn't think of it that way, they need to really reevaluate if they should be in the space because it, it it's it's a sexy, crazy place to be. Let's go back. Let's just 
talk on that very last thread. So you're saying anyone in the space who doesn't think of this as a uh, what as a policy is is that what you're saying or a sex drug rock and roll conversation? Yes, yes. Both. It, both? It's both. It's power. It's politics. It's um, you know just how sexy you can be. So a lot of times people who get into power, they look good, like all the things, all the things. And if you don't view it from that perspective, at least a little bit, I'm you're too boring. <laughs> it's too dry. Yeah. Um, power in particular is a big driving force behind money and policy and mm-hmm. impact. And, and so I love it. I love it. I can't get enough of it. And it's a lot of fun. It's it, like the more I do it, especially now that I don't have all that unsecured debt, the more the more I enjoy it. So there you go. Well, I always like I do enjoy writing about, you know, policy stuff or uh, kind of big picture economics uh, topics. I find those really interesting. And oftentimes, you know, yeah, we can talk about personal finance on the personal level. But if we do zoom out a little bit, we realize how interconnected policy decisions are to each of our personal finances, whether it's, you know, tax rates or student loan laws or any, any of that stuff, right? It's all connected. Um, personally, I find my readers don't always find those topics as interesting as I do. Wow. I mean, what, <laughs> I mean, what, what, what have you found, Michelle? I mean, do you, do you find a way to spice it up somehow so that people stay, stay engaged or is your reader base just, are they there for the policy discussions? Well, that's why I have the podcast. Like the podcast is, there are certain things that just, you need to talk about it. And that's why podcasts or vlogging, quite honestly, is a lot more impactful and and effective in having those types of conversations. Gotcha. So let's talk about that a little bit because you started off writing. Well, first off, you went to FinCon without having a a blog or anything like that. You just went to, to be a fangirl. I just showed up. I was like, this is a hundred bucks and they're paying for lunch. Okay. And I, and I just have to walk downtown and okay. Like it was an easy yes. <laughs> that is and so I didn't cool. really have that hundred dollars. Like I was broke, mm-hmm. and, but I was mm-hmm. like, I can scrape this together and, and we'll, we'll make this work. So I did. I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. I think it shows your, uh, your dedication to the, to the subject matter, even if at the time you hadn't really dove into it yet. Well, I was going to meet my idols. Right. Who who were your idols, actually? Like, who were some of the blogs that you were following most then, even if I maybe they're not around you. today? I can't even tell you because I was reading so many of them mm-hmm. that um, I was just reading so many of them that it's even, it's hard to, to even tell you because there were so many people. Sandy Smith, I will say, was one of those people. She's a dear friend now. Um, she runs a website called Yes, I Am Cheap and the Hustle Crew. Um, Tiffany Aliche, the budgetista, obviously she's amazing. She's huge. She's got like a million people that follow her literally, mm-hmm. uh, JD Roth, who's, who's a friend now as well, uh, get rich slowly. And just, I, I, I love hearing his way, uh, overthought sometimes ideas on the history of money. He knows I'm teasing him if he's listening, um, <laughs> uh, because we spoke at a camp by event uh during the pandemic last summer 2020 and he actually showed a uh, he shared a really interesting um history of fire financial independence retire early and i trumped him not literally trump with the 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 idea that walden and thoreau was actually a fire focused approach and uh other people including vicky robbins actually said yes that was the case she said that through twitter because he reached out to her Anyway, um, so there were a lot of rant. Some people were random. Some people um, are no longer in the space. They, I was reading people who were black, Hispanic, white, um, men, women, all the th- all of the above, couples, singles, you know, uh, engaged. Like everyone's story was really interesting to me, even if it didn't directly um, impact me or it wasn't a reflection of what I was dealing with. I just love that they shared. And I think that that level of, of, um, openness has been lost a little bit in the space as people become entrepreneurs. And that's part of the reason why I took all entrepreneurship content 
out of my website and, and started a new project that's only entrepreneurship driven so that Michelle is money hungry can really stay focused on money and personal finance topics. I think that it's very easy for entrepreneurship to kind of take over uh, a personal finance website, which I've seen over and over again. And I liked both topics and care about both. And so I had to, I had to split them up and, and start something different. Makes sense. I've probably fallen into that trap. And I know a lot of the bloggers who I, who I'm either in some sort of like outside mastermind groups with, or who I just talk to through Twitter. I know those bloggers, some of them have fallen into that trap too, where kind of your, your personal finance blog starts just about money. But next thing you know, you're writing about the act of blogging, you're writing about the act of running a small business and it kind of, it all bleeds into one another. Um, What's, what's the name of your, your entrepreneurship uh, project? It's called the brand building lab. And it's, so it's brandbuildinglab.com. Not so the, the URL is brandbuildinglab.com and the, the thought behind it, it's still new. It's in its infancy, but the thought behind it is to really elevate, uplift and share POC and allied voices in the online digital entrepreneurship space, as well as answer all of the entrepreneurship questions that I get that people um, are interested in that has that, that has nothing to do with personal finance. My personal finance person, if they're on that, that Michelle is money hungry and they're trying to become an empathetic person in the personal finance space, or they're looking to do sustainable, um, investing or something like that, they may not necessarily want to have an entrepreneurship conversation in their content. They could care less about that. If it's someone on my website who is, so this week we did an episode, I did an episode talking about billionaires. Um, the person who's listening to our billionaires evil, even if it's Rihanna, may not necessarily want to hear about how to build a blog. Like they don't <laughs> care. It's two different types of, of people and avatars. And for me, I just kept feeling like there was a huge disconnect and how I was serving my 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 uh, core readership and listeners. And it just felt wrong. It just never felt right. Keeping both, both types of content together, which is why I eventually I split it up. And after a year of being home by myself, I was able to really look at the content and think about it. So I spent a lot of time just thinking about it, thinking about how I felt, uh, when including entrepreneurship on my money blog. And I was just like, this isn't working for me. And so I split it and I'm really glad that I did. So people who are doing fun and whimsical and cool digital entrepreneurship projects. Those are the people I want on my, my brand building, uh, brand building lab website. So, uh, an ideal person that I would love to have on, on as a guest, the black forager. She's so cool. She's so interesting. So she has this major brand online and what does she do? She forages for food and she's, like literally like she goes into the forest, goes out into nature and she teaches us how to forage, how to recognize chicken, chicken of the wood, I think, uh, mushrooms and all these different things. And I'm from Colorado. I actually like foraging. Like it's a thing I enjoy. And I feel, I feel like creators like that don't make their way onto EO on fire, entrepreneurship on fire. Like Mm -hmm. I, they're, they're too whimsical. They're too out there. Right. And those are my kind of people. And I wanted a place where I was sharing those kind of interesting projects that maybe other people aren't giving a second look. And I'm not saying that John Lee Dumas d- isn't doing that. Um, I'm just saying that's my impression. And so, uh, especially when they're, they're black and brown creators, um, I want to make sure that there's a place for that. And so there's another gentleman who's a, he's a mus- musician and he, his name is Valley Palace. He kind of does like eighties glam rock EDM kind of situation. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm obsessed. I love eighties glam rock. It's a thing. <laughs> I love it. I love everything about what he does, but he's not 
mainstream, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in any kind of way, like hip hop people may not like him. And so, but he's my kind of people. And I, I am hoping that one day I get him on my show. Um, there's another woman on online on Twitter who is known as, as the, she does things around snacks. So she's just figuring out like trends on snacks, like future trends with snacks. So a trend would be adding CBD into products or adaptogens into products to be a healthier snack. And she's actually gotten some really good national publicity uh, with her brand. So she's the type of person that uh, she's from Honduras, I believe originally, flew into the US, did, uh, I think it was ET a couple of days ago, or a couple of weeks ago. And that is the kind of person I'm like, you're like, who would have thunk it? Snacks. You're my jam. I want to talk to you. And so I just want a space where we talk about fun, whimsical, interesting digital platforms that make their creators money and aren't so boring. That's really cool. I, and I like that as, as a creator who maybe focuses on a niche or has a niche audience, you know, I haven't gone mainstream yet. I doubt I ever will, but uh, I do think I have a, a audience to serve. And the idea of getting a little bit of limelight to connect my potential audience who hasn't found me yet to my content, that's something that I would be looking for. And it sounds like that's the limelight, that's the spotlight that you're shining on on these these creators. I mean, I think that's so cool. The Black Forager, uh, unique music from Valley Palace. And then who doesn't like snacks, right? I, I, hope awesome. they, I hope they hear that I'm looking for them. <laughs> <laughs> I will be pitching. <laughs> I can tag them. I'll tag them on Twitter. Please. And, and honestly, there's tons of people out there doing really cool things. And you're just like, wow, I, I want to share them. And I want this fun space and, and creating content online is a lot of work. And so in order to kind of balance out that work, you need to be excited about the people that you're connecting with. And these people excite me. Like if I wasn't in the space I would be excited to hear, to know what they were doing. And so that's part of why um, I'm focused in this way. I want to go back, Michelle, and uh, I don't want to necessarily rehash. Sounds like you had a whole podcast on this topic and we don't have to have the whole podcast, but it was a juicy soundbite that was too juicy to ignore. <laughs> uh, are billionaires evil, even if they are Rihanna? Can you explain that a little bit in case any of the listeners don't understand the, the title of that topic, but then also I kind of want to dig in and, and answer that question between you and me. Mm. So uh, for Michelle is Money Hungry, the, where I'm really focused is creating a, a platform, a personal finance platform that really has uh, conversations around money and what I'm seeing people, like the chatter online and where the mood is. And one of the things I noticed is when Oprah became a billionaire, people were like, Oh my God, Oprah's a billionaire. This is so awesome. Ah! Like people were really excited. Right. <laughs> um, when Rihanna became a billionaire and, and other people too, like, uh, the Kardashians, like the, you know, the, the young one, Kylie, I think it is. Mm -hmm. The, the reaction was different and I noticed it, but I also noticed that in general, people are not happy with billionaires. And when we had this conversation, my two guests and I in the show, one of the things that I brought up was that is, is part of the problem that we've got billionaires share, uh, sending giant peens into space. Like, is that part of what's pissing people off and that we're seeing poverty um, on unpre unprecedented levels here in the U S and, uh, it feels like they should be doing something more. Right. But at the same time, it's like, they worked, they, they earned the money. Right. Mm -hmm. But then one of my guests was, was saying, no, actually I'm going to backtrack. I was at my coffee shop that day before returning home to record that episode and my fate, one of my favorite baristas was like, 
so um, billionaires because I, I tell them what I'm up to and, and I ask their opinion, right? And I asked my barista, I was like, so what are your thoughts on this? And she said, well, the thing is with billionaires, it often feels like they have to step on people in order to get to the billions. And I was like, huh. And she said, in particular, people who in inherited the their wealth. And when you have people like Bezos who got 300 grand, I, I feel like it was like 300 grand from his family in mm -hmm. order to launch his business. There's something to be said when we're hearing reports that people are peeing in bottles in order to work uh, on the floor. And if they're not productive at certain levels of productivity that, that are being tracked digitally, as you could imagine at Amazon, that they're, that they're fired. Um, and so the conversation, I really enjoyed it, was interesting because I think for us in the personal finance space, we like making more money right? Like the whole, why Absolutely. would we yep. want to make more money? But then as a person who is building a platform that talks about social good and policy connected to finance, whether or not you're rich or poor, the question becomes, well, are billionaires evil and do they have an obligation to society at large? And that was kind of what we were working through. I see. And we'll be sure, I'll be sure to link to this, uh, to your podcast, Michelle, in the show notes. So any listeners can go tune into that after they're done listening here. Now you raised a few good points in there. Uh, so one of them right off the bat is, you know, I'm out here creating content online, trying to forge my own little entrepreneurial path. Michelle, you're doing the same thing and you're like light years ahead of me, right? You're, you're essentially running your own business and you're supporting yourself fully through entrepreneurship. So I think we can both on, on different levels respect the grind that many of these billionaires put in to get to where they are. And, you know, tons of hard work. No one is doubting that there's tons of hard work involved. When I think of, say, uh, Jeff Bezos or, or Elon Musk, say, really cool ideas and, and a desire to execute on those really cool ideas, ideas that we consumers look at and say, yes, I, I want to give you your money, give you my money for your good idea. And that's really cool. Uh, but one thing that I always come back to, one of many things is, uh, let's go back to policy and talk about tax rates, effective tax rates, and the taxes that that billionaires actually pay, whether it's corporate taxes, um, you know, Amazon doesn't pay corporate taxes. Is that right? Now, I know it's legal. It's, it's, it's within the law. But is that morally right? You know, there I see their their vans driving on the roads near my house all the time. <laughs> Should they pay taxes to help support that infrastructure? Should they pay? You know, it's it's those kind of questions that really have to we have to get down to brass tacks and say whether it's Jeff Bezos himself or Amazon as a corporation, whether it's uh, Elon Musk himself or Tesla, SpaceX as as businesses, do they owe some sort of tax back to our society? Because without our society, I'm not exactly sure how their business would run, right? It's a two-way street. That's where I go to, you know, immediately. It's, it's not that I don't want there to be billionaires. It's more that I would like to make sure that billionaires and billion trillion dollar companies are paying their fair share of taxes to the society that helps sustain them. It's funny that you mentioned the Amazon trucks. So they are always in my neighborhood. They are everywhere. I will admit that I use the, I use Amazon. I mm -hmm. happily use Amazon. I publish nonfiction and fiction books on Amazon. I love the service. However, I do have concerns about um, social good, social impact, how the the business can um, cannibalize other businesses. I don't go to Walmart actually for two reasons. One, the city of Denver, people in the city of Denver fought against Walmart in our town. So they were going to open like a boutique Walmart to test it out in Denver proper. So in the suburbs, yes, there are Walmarts, but in Denver, the city of Denver, there aren't any. And um, I'd say about seven or eight years ago, they were going to open up a, a boutique Walmart and the people fought against it. 
for that development. They were like, no, because once it's in to uh, it, once it's in a town, it, it cannibalizes other local businesses. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we won, they won. Denver still doesn't have a Walmart. <laughs> so I literally have not been to a Walmart. I want to say at least seven years. Like I just, I know why would I go? There's, there's not one near me. I don't why. However, when we look at social good and social impact, I think it's really important to uh, think about our role in things and are we complicit in um, the mistreatment of others. And so I am definitely with Amazon, I'm very conflicted. Um, I do a lot of things where I try to eliminate the conflict, right? So I live in Denver, Colorado. We just, before we started this call, I was telling you about the um, fact that on Saturday of this week, we ended up having here in the city of Denver, the worst error in the entire world. I can confirm it was the worst error in the, in the entire world. And one of the things that I've noticed is that um, I can't control everything, but I can control me. So I use a car share and a car share helps me to eliminate two things cost and my impact on the earth. And for those of you guys who are like, what the heck is a car share? Car share, basically I pay a subscription every month in order to access a fleet of cars. And then when I use the car, the actual time that I use the car, I pay for as well as any gas that I use. Love this system. It's earth friendly. It's a nonprofit. It's totally in alignment with my financial ideals. Um, the content that I share on my website, I try to be really in alignment with my ideals, how I hire. I've just started hiring people for, to help me with my business contractors in alignment. So I'm always trying to be in alignment with what I'm doing. And so when we talk about billionaires, I think many people are reacting to a couple of things, which is it is, it, it's skewed, right? Like it seems out of alignment with what the rest of us are experiencing and, and having in our lives. You know, we're, we're not billionaires. Like most of us are lucky to even hit a hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, the excess, when I live in my city and I see homeless encampments, that is upsetting. When I, I know that there are people with so much money that they could help create policy to eliminate these issues. So for me, I, I'm a little in the middle about billionaires. I think that they do have an ethical and moral, um, uh, I just had a brain fart. Oh my God. Obligation. Obligation. Yes. You can keep that in there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) obligation to society one, because on a basic level, they do use our roads. Those prime trucks are driving around all day long in my neighborhood, all through my, out my city. They're using our, our, our infrastructure in order to facilitate their, their business. Um, and so the question becomes, have we become so desensitized to what's not going right in the U S in particular, that billionaires are just sexy, regardless of whether or not they're doing the right thing. And, and then the question becomes, are they even obligated to do the right thing? What is the right thing? For whom is the right thing? So back in the day, Carnegie uh, understood that an educated um, workforce would benefit him. You know what he did? He built libraries throughout the United States. He built almost 3,000 libraries across the entire United States. Everyone benefited and he made money. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... I was a moderator yesterday. We recorded a, a panel for FinCon 2021, and it was about ESG and sustainable investing. Yeah. Uh, real quick, can you explain what, what does ESG stand for? I always forget the acronym. <laughs> so let, <laughs> I me, think it's, let me. I think it's environmentalism, uh, sustainability, and governance. Yes. Yes. That, okay. I'm, horrible I'm learning it too, but, but yeah. Okay. I'm horrible. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so. Where was I going with this? Oh my God. Oh, you were saying that you were moderating a FinCon panel um, about ESG oh. investing. Yeah. And so uh, one of the panelists basically was saying that 
businesses that lean into social good actually end up being very, very profitable, probably because people have deeper trust in those organizations. Um, the people who work there are happier. Like there's, there's all these things that uh, different points of impact that will occur when you have happy people. So Target for me, I'm a fan for life. I've always loved Target, love Target. The fact that they're now going to pay for people to go to college, you can't, I will never not love Target. They've got, I will never, ever, ever, ever set foot in Walmart because of that policy. Not just because it's not in Denver. I will, <laughs> right. I will, I will, you know what I mean? Like I will always spend there because one of the things I, I've understood in the past, you know, 10, 15 years is even small amounts make a big difference, whether it's spending in a local uh, business. Last year, my little coffee, like you guys all laugh because I'm always on Instagram at a coffee shop. But the thing is, those businesses really appreciated my $4 coffee because Denver is expensive and coffee is $4. That helped them stay in business. That helped keep people working. Yeah. You know, Um, those small amounts made a big difference. And I was intentional and doing that, even though I love Starbucks, I was like, Starbucks is going to be okay. But my local coffee shop might not be. Um, and so I made a point. I always, I've always done this because <laughs> don't laugh. I have a Colorado project as well. <laughs> and, um, I focus on uplifting Colorado local businesses, initiatives, projects, things like that. And I always spend locally whenever I can Um, Not just local to spend local, like with good businesses that are doing good things. Um, But because I understand that with every dollar that I spend locally, it stays in the economy longer. Like the impact is longer. Yep. Um, Or the impact is sustained over time. And so that is something that I think is important. And so with billionaires, the question becomes, okay, you're a billionaire and now you're, you're, you know, producing goods overseas to sell to your us-based um clientele maybe i would be okay with paying a little more if that was employing someone here and i do that all the time right yeah that's something Uh, to think about it is it is and and one thing you were hitting on in there michelle you were talking about esg investing which for any listeners not aware of esg investing it is a rapidly growing trend where uh People who are investing money are choosing to place their investments with companies that have positive social footprints, whether that's an environmental footprint or more of a uh, a sustainability and social footprint, you know, the way they treat people. And I think the old school way of thinking about businesses and thinking about uh, corporations and investing is the corporation's job is to make profit for the shareholder. And that's a Milton Friedman thing. Correct. Right. That's like old school economics, right? Milton Friedman. If you don't know, uh, he would be, I think Michelle would call them an old white dude economist. <laughs> he's the OG. He's the one who created that whole like frame of thought and framework around corporations are um, accountable to their shareholders, not yep. necessarily to society. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, if, if people are still thinking in that Milton Friedman uh, mind frame, fine, they can. But individual investors, people like you and me, Michelle, and people listening to this podcast, the investors can start making decisions that, well, we want to put our money into businesses that care about things other than just making profit. So now all of a sudden, if you're the corporation and your shareholders are all looking at you saying, we want you to do something slightly different than making pure profit, Well, now the company is obliged to start thinking along ESG terms. So hopefully we see this movement continue and we see more and more companies doing things like Target did, where they say, you know what, we're actually rather than sending all these profits to our shareholders in in the form of dividends, we are going to reinvest in our workforce and pay for their college. Cool. I think that's a great thing. One of the Uh, interesting things about this conversation, like this last Point that you just made. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting that the U.S. is the only country reporting all of this uh, volatility in the labor market? We're the only ones with this being a thing. And the reason why is 
other countries have labor laws and just things in place to uh, manage worker happiness, citizen, citizen happiness. And now that Americans have experienced time freedom and flexibility, we're never going, we, you will have to, we will never let that go. You know, you'll have to pull that time freedom out of our cold, dead hands. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's why online digital entrepreneurs love entrepreneurship for the most part. Some people hate it, but most people, once they start making money and they, they get through the first three or three painful years, the first three years is really painful. Um, once they start understanding how to make money and they're working, you know, maybe 40 hours a month, game on. We want freedom. And in the US, it's very challenging within how work is structured to have the kind of freedom that also encourages uh, lifestyle happiness. And so businesses who understand that and understand work, their workforce's motivations and are nimble and, and working towards keeping those people happy, um, they will have people working for them. And not everyone works white collar jobs where that's an option. So maybe, maybe I work um, outdoors. I work with my hands. There's still opportunities within um, fields, vocational fields to do that too, to make sure that people are happy. Mm -hmm. And, and people, Americans work like our productivity has gone through the roof during COVID. They, they, we are so productive. So it's not that we won't work. It's just that we want we don't want to have to be like, please, sir, can I take my kids to the dentist? You know, like we, it's just ridiculous that we don't even have the flexibility to, to have some terms uh, of our, uh, like some freedom to just do what's best for us within the context of work. That was a great little uh, twist on Oliver Twist right there. <laughs> I like that. Hopefully like other that. people understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, you made me think of something, Michelle. Hold on. Wait for it. Uh, oh, I know what it was. Uh, creative destruction, right? It's, it's one of my favorite uh, economy terms that uh, the way businesses work is they, that they uh, through, through creating new ideas, through creating new products, other companies get destroyed. It's just the way the economy works. And we're going to see some of that. You alluded to some of that where the companies that aren't able to adapt to this new post-COVID work domain that is about to ensue or, you know, has been going on for a few months now, the ones that can't adapt might just be destroyed. And the ones that do adapt and do adapt well, they will live long and prosper. I, I like that Star Trek reference. <laughs> Thank you. I thought I'd throw one back at you. Um, and I'm a Trekkie. So that was, that was a good one. <laughs> nice. Nice. I want to tell them about another piece of content that I want more people to know about that I put out. Mm -hmm. um, I recently did an episode about the financial life of sex workers. Ooh. Um, yeah, that was one of my favorite interviews besides yours, quite honestly. <laughs> um, no, I loved your interview and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. So just so you know. Oh, cool. That's good. Um, and that conversation, I feel hasn't been had enough because people are nervous to have questions and conversations like that. Right. And that's, that's the, this is the sex worker conversation, right? Yes. Not, not the one with me. They, they are two separate no. conversations <laughs> just so everybody knows. I have nothing against sex work. It's just, He's, it's not Jesse's conversation. <laughs> he talked about Bitcoin. Um, but the, <laughs> that was funny. Um, but that the episode where I spoke with the sex worker and just the financials, behind what does what what does a career in this space look like those are the stories that i don't hear enough that are out there that we could ask but a lot of people are uncomfortable mm -hmm. and honestly i was uncomfortable for a couple of reasons this is not a side hustle i have done i probably won't ever do it um i i don't i think no one wants to see this on OnlyFans, right i'm not 20 um, but I want, like, I want, I wanted to go into that conversation with care and respect, um, and empathy because this guest had had a, a hard, 
like behind everything, in my view, there was a lot of hurt mm-hmm. um, that impacted choices that she made. And she ended up saying yes to this, this uh, way of life and this way of making money. And I still am thinking about that conversation. It'll be a long time where uh, every once in a while, I'll just kind of think about it because um, it, it was a hard conversation to have. And I wish that more people would have the hard conversations, whether it's about policy or money or racism or whatever, but people are really afraid to do that because they're afraid to be wrong. They're afraid to be awkward. They're afraid to, um, to be right, you know, depending on what it is. And we just don't have enough conversations around topics that are important or stories that are important. And everyone's, everyone's story is important. And my guest in that episode was like, sex workers are just like you and me, like they want to be there for their kids and they want to go to soccer games. And they, it was just a conversation that, um, was important to have, but we don't have enough conversations with someone who is a first generation person or in the financial space or someone who's undocumented. Why in the hell would someone want to, you know, leave their home country, go through a desert, potentially die on the way to come here? Like, what is it that would make them make that decision, displace themselves? And so I, I, I basically am ending my rant by saying, if you're in the personal finance space, I need you guys to try harder. I need you to try harder and have the harder conversations. The ones that make you slightly uncomfortable because I grew by having that, that conversation. Talk to your relatives. When I talked to my grandma about her finances and how she learned about what a 401k was, was 10 years before she retired. And you know, um, those conversations will impact the advice that we give. The reason why she didn't uh, sign up for her for the 401k the first time was they didn't understand what it was. No one in the company was a major tire company. Um, and they got a 401k plan, like the, the people who owned the company made this available to the workers. No one signed up because no one understood what it meant. Like they didn't get it. And so a year later, they had um, paperwork on it, just kind of explaining it. They had workshops and then my grandma signed up for it. And then she just uh, saved aggressively for 10 years and she's been retired for, God, she's been retired for like 30 years now, easily, happily retired. And that 10 years of aggressive savings in her 401k uh, was because they had a, a different kind of approach and a different conversation with the people who work there. And this is what needs to happen in order for us to be more impactful in the space. We have to talk to people because we may be missing people because we're making assumptions. So the, the people who introduced that 401k, they assumed that workers would be like, okay, we'll just, we'll just sign up. Like this is an opportunity that they were providing but the workers had no idea how it was an opportunity. They were afraid that the that the uh, stock market would eat their money and w- would like they'd lose everything because they were working hard in a factory, right? Yeah. Well, so, what you're describing a little bit. I mean, there's there's a few things you're describing. One thing you're making me think of, Michelle, is uh, I, I'm sure there's a better name for it, but it's like the blind spot bias, or it's mm. the um, you know. I have a hard time thinking about people who are different than me bias, which I'm saying that I suffer from that sometimes. I know it. We all do. We all do. Exactly. We all do. And it it takes a a concentrated effort to take a step back and kind of look at yourself and say, where are my blind spots? What am I overlooking? You know, I'm writing as a, you know, I'm a 31 year old uh, male engineer, went to a, a good school. I've got a good salary, didn't have a ton of debt. It's pretty easy for me to say, yeah, let me write about why Roth IRAs and 401ks are great. Well, a bunch of people out there are going to look at me and say, like, I don't know what either one of those things are. And even if I did, I don't have the money to invest in them. You're not helping me at all, Jesse. So it's, it's that kind of thing. 
um, I try and I have tried and, and I will continue to try. And maybe with this, with this uh, encouragement from you, I'm going to start trying harder. I think you tried, you're, you're good, but we, we all can try harder. Yeah. And that's yeah, agreed. like, I'm not just saying this to the listeners who might be content creators. I'm saying this to myself as well. Well, some of those conversations sound, sound very interesting. Um, they are. I mean, right. Cause I, you know, here's a great example. I have zero interaction with the sex work community. Do any was, of us, was, if we're not in, like, I only connected <laughs> with her because she's on social media and I follow her on mm-hmm. Twitter because she's in the social, she's in the personal finance space. Mm-hmm. So finding out why this individual is in the fire space as a sex worker was fascinating. See, you've got me intrigued. That is fascinating. Well, what, um, what episode of your podcast is that, Michelle? That, I want to say it's 180. Okay, I'll I'll look it up after the fact. I'll throw it in the show notes. There's a there's also a uh, a content disclaimer. <laughs> so so that, in like that parental one, parental advisory it, it's disclaimer. It's like NC seventeen. Like it's legit. Like I'm like this is grown folks. So you you know I warned you. This isn't and, Kansas anymore. Yeah, exactly. So. All right, Dorothy. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Michelle. Um, Let's 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 hit up some famous best interest podcast rapid fire questions. They're famous, but no, no worries. You'll there's okay. no pressure. You'll do okay. fine. So the first one, what is the last material object or personal luxury that you spent one hundred dollars or more on? Uh, actually, I want to say my my trip to podcast movement. Ooh, very nice. Yeah. Podcast movement is a uh, a conference, right? Yes. So I just returned from Nashville, Tennessee, which I had no idea was lit. It's like a mini (laughs) Las Vegas for country folks. Like Mm -hmm. it is, I love that town. I don't even really like country music. Um, I like a little country music, but I'm not like obsessed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I loved that town. If I lived in Nashville, I would just eat obsessively and gain (laughs) 500 pounds. That's all I would do. That would be my occupation. I do know. I've got a lot of friends around here who have gone to Nashville multiple times and they keep going back and they keep on planning trips back there because it's an incredible it city, such a cool place. That's awesome. I've never been. It's on my to-do list. It's on, it's on your list. It, like yeah. get a frontier ticket and just a duffel bag and go. Nice. Love frontier. I'm a frontier fan. Even if occasionally they do duct tape you to your seat, it's probably because you deserve it. <laughs> I don't know if anyone gets that reference, but uh, hey, that was it the happens. week I was traveling. <laughs> was that your flight? <laughs> that was the day I was traveling. I was Ooh. like, oh, <laughs> Ooh, you missed great. out. You missed yeah. out. Maybe yeah. in a good way, maybe in a bad way. And speaking of good and bad, the next question is, what's one good habit you're trying to form? Or if you'd like a bad habit that you're trying to break? Um, a bad habit that I think might resonate with a lot of people is um, financial sabotage. Ooh. So I have to be very mindful of my money mindset. And um, I think because I've had so many problems with money that there's still things that I can do or that I do that can get in the way of my finances um, growing healthily. So just really making sure that I don't sabotage my, my, um, business growth, my, um, pricing things like that. And so in order to do that, I, one just have to be mindful and aware and just self-aware and understand some of the things that I potentially could do to get in my own way. And this is something that comes up in a lot of entrepreneurs that maybe they, they're not even self-aware um, uh, like they, they don't even know that they're doing this, but I notice it. And that's because I've been writing about money for so long. I, I, I was noticing some things. So that is something I'm really working on. Gotcha. What, what's a, what's an example of that? I mean, I guess you did give us a couple examples dealing with your, your pricing. Um, but what's something you might see, and you were mentioning other entrepreneurs that you'll see mistakes that they're making. What's an example of that? Well, pricing is a huge one, like way underpricing what their work should be, um, what they should be compensated for with, with their work. I see. Okay. Another thing is 
not being confident around the pricing once they set their prices. So it can be in the digital space in particular, it, it can feel a little ephemeral, right? Because we're dealing with in bytes, um, data bytes and digital bytes, if you will. But I spent a lot of time learning what I'm doing in order to teach it to other people. Mm-hmm. So if I'm creating products, goods, and services, that's a reflection of that. Um, at the same time, I have a social mandate and mission within my business. So what can what also impacts my pricing and things like that is accessibility. So um, making sure that in being confident about confident enough about my pricing that I can take care of myself and be good financially, that I'm also building an equitable business model that serves um, my, my current and future clientele wherever they may find themselves. So businesses that only have really high priced products, um, for me in the digital space, I don't think that's ideal because your, your customers can't do a, a customer journey with you. For me, I was very deliberate and building out products that are free to high to uh you know expensive if you will gotcha so um that way i can serve people where wherever they may land and never be in the space where i have to make an unethical pitch mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the whole just invest in yourself i'm like maybe <laughs> they shouldn't invest in themselves right now maybe they're broke yeah. Maybe they just need the free, like the, the mini guide. Cause I was that person. Right. Right. Yeah. I was that person. So, right. um, in sabotaging yourself, it could be that you try to do the quick wins, but maybe people are unhappy with, with what you've done. And then you get bad publicity later, but you, you had these high priced, uh, products because you were broke and you were just trying to get the quick money, you know? So I haven't done that, but I kind of feel like that's happened out there. And sooner or later you, you hear about it. Yeah. So instead I was like, I'm going to make sure <laughs> that, um, I am thoughtful about everything that I'm doing, um, in my business in terms of products and service to others so that I don't put myself in a position, especially before when I was so broke where I have to make unethical choices and disclosure when I was younger, I made a couple unethical financial choices and it still bothers me to this day. I might do a podcast episode one day about it. Um, and I think that, um, when you're broke, that that's a very dangerous thing. Entrepreneurs in particular, their cash flow goes up and down. And so you have to be really careful about a lot of things. So, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, one thing, I mean, you, you ended up talking about having a uh, kind of running the, the full gamut of uh, pricing when it comes to your products. One thing that you were talking about in terms of underpricing, I know it's something that I've struggled with is finding the right price for some of my freelance work. And uh, I'm reminded of, uh, there's this parable about Pablo Picasso. Are you familiar with this drawing? No, on this is a new one for me. So the, the story is, you know, that Pablo Picasso is 72 years old. He's sitting at this beautiful cafe somewhere in suburban Paris and a woman walks up to him and she says, you know, you're Pablo Picasso. He's like, yeah, what's up? Hola, you know, (laughs) yo soy Pablo. And uh, she says, you know, can you draw, can you draw something for me? And he goes, yeah, sure. So he pulls out the napkin and he doodles some really nice looking Pablo Picasso style doodle on the napkin. And he hands it to her and he says, you know, that'll be $20,000. And she's Mm. like, $20,000. Like that literally took you three minutes. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. That took me my whole life. Right. Oh, right. mic drop. Mic drop, Pablo. Right. You know, odds are it's BS, but it's the same idea. The story explains the idea that you're not necessarily paying for someone's 30 minutes or someone's hour, or what I should say is a customer isn't paying for your hour, Michelle. They're really paying for your whole body of knowledge. So it's, it's, you know, you have to price that fairly and it might mean that they pay more for your hour than they would earn in a typical hour at their own job, right? That's exactly. just the way expertise works. So okay. 
Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. I, I'm launching a, a new product tonight, actually. And I've decided that with the type of product that it is, it's going to be, it's never going to be more than 150 bucks. It's just never going to be more than 150 bucks. And the reason why is within the, the, the products in my business, there was room for something at that tier and mm -hmm. it could so impact, um, entrepreneurs and better their lives. I think in terms of access that I didn't want to price it so that they couldn't even access the, the, the product, the tool. And, um, so it's just being as an entrepreneur, you just have to think about these things. Um, and that says a lot about how you think about your, your clientele. Right. I like it. I like it. Um, the next question that I always like to hear from is, uh, what's your favorite financial tool or app or service that you use and why? My newest favorite is cube money. Um, I actually mm. share it as an affiliate on my podcast now because I love it so much. And basically it is a, um, digital envelope app. And so each you, you basically have a debit card, like a debit visa card that is paired with your app. And say, for example, you deposit $200 into your FDIC insured account, um, and then you separate your, your cash into the different cubes or envelopes. Uh, and then basically you open up the app when you're about to spend, that's it. And you just use the app uh, or use the cube for the spending that you're doing. Gotcha. So and all, the spending, all the spending is done through that debit card that they give you? Exactly. So instead of being freaked out that you're going to lose actual physical cash, and especially now where a lot of places aren't taking cash, um, this is a great way to stay organized and have spending envelopes and just, just work your system so that you can get ahead without the possibility of losing your money. So I love, I love cute money. Nice. And that is, I think I've seen you talk about it before. That's cube with a Q, right? Yes. Yes. Q-U-B-E. Uh-huh. Cool. Cube, cube money. money. I love it. First time I've heard about that on the Best Interest Podcast. And, I uh, love it. <laughs> the last one, Michelle, always a good one. If I gave you a billboard to share any message with the world, what would you say? <laughs> You're going to like this one. Don't be a douche. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> so that I'm serious. There are a lot of people who, for some reason, really enjoy being douchey people. I don't know why. I'm not sure what, what's, what's going on, what that's about. Um, on the flip side, instead of being, don't be a douche, being nice wins all the time. Like being the nice person always wins. The nice guy always wins. I think in the end, mm -hmm. or at least they're not eating spit burgers. So, um, be nice and don't be a douche is what, what I would put on it. We're going to end on that. Don't be a douche, but Michelle, if people out there, maybe they want to learn how not to be a douche or <laughs> better yet, maybe they want to learn more about entrepreneurship. They want to check out your podcast. They want to check out your writing. How can people get a hold of you, Michelle? You can contact me at michelleismoneyhungry.com backslash connect with Michelle. Um, and it's connect dash with dash Michelle. So, um, and you'll find links to the different projects, how to email me. And yes, by different projects, it's uh, brand building lab, Michelle is money hungry. And yes, even my Colorado project that I keep quiet. So um, it's all on that page. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle. And that one I will for sure put in the show notes so that all the listeners, none of whom are douches, I will point out, <laughs> can get a hold of you if they want to. Thank I know you, Michelle. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on, sharing your knowledge, sharing your humor with us on the Best Interest Podcast. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Huge thank you to Michelle for coming on to the podcast today. I've included all of Michelle's links in the show notes if you want to get a hold of her. If you want to reach out to me, my email is jesse at bestinterest.blog, or you can follow me on Twitter, where my username is bestinterest underscore jc. I love hearing from you guys. Don't hesitate to reach out. 
If you find this valuable and you want to give back, there are three easy options for you, all free, absolutely free. You can subscribe to the podcast from the app you're listening to right now. Or you can leave a rating or a review of the podcast. We can continue to invest in one another because, as Ben Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Sharing with others is investing in their knowledge. So thank you all for listening to this episode number 34 of the Best Interest Podcast.